Wednesday, September 4th, 2013, episode number 60 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Nation Today podcast hosted by yours truly Alex Reamer here on this Wednesday, September the 4th, a mere 24 hours away from the start of the 2013 NFL season, Broncos Ravens tomorrow night in prime time on NBC. Now, unlike previous Super Bowl winners, the Ravens won't start the season at home. They will be on the road at Denver because of a scheduling conflict with the Orioles. Peter Angelos didn't want to move his home game up to the afternoon to accommodate defending Super Bowl champs, uh, something that I did not like at the time, and now that we're 24 hours away from the start of the season, and the Super Bowl champions aren't opening in front of their home fans, I like it even less now. Uh, come on, Peter, move your game up. It's 101-62, and there's only one opening night in the NFL. Super Bowl champs, the Ravens, they should play at home like other Super Bowl champions have opened up the season at home in recent seasons. Um, so, of course, today, as you may have guessed, we are going to do our comprehensive 2013 NFL season preview. I know you've been waiting on the edge of your seats, waiting, uh, wanting to know who I'm going to pick to win each division, my wild cards, my Super Bowl champion. Ooh, very exciting stuff. So we'll go through all that in a little bit. But before we do so, we're going to talk about a couple of stories around the NFL over the past week. Of course, the big one is the settlement, the NFL and the ex-players who are suing the league for its negligent treatment of head injuries. Not the fact that they had concussions, Pete Prisco. Uh, by the way, if you haven't seen Keith Olbermann's uh, annihilation of Prisco's column last week on his uh, show on ESPN2, I highly recommend you watch it. It's on YouTube. Look under Olbermann's YouTube channel. You'll find it there. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, there are a lot, in today's world of media, there's a lot of noise because those who are loudest get noticed. But uh, <laughs> Prisco's column takes it to a whole nother level. Just unbelievable, uh, that piece of uh, quote-unquote uh, you know, journalism there uh, by, pre- by Pete Prisco, CBS columnist. And by the way, um, I got into a Twitter spat with Prisco uh, earlier this summer in which uh, he was visiting a training camp and talked about how he was getting high from the smell of weed from the stands. And I fired back, man, sports writers are such dorks. I mean, come on, man, it's July, training camp. Fans want to go and smoke some weed? Let them smoke some weed. But no, we got to tweet about it and be all uptight. So Prisco had it coming for getting into the Twitter spat with me a couple of months ago. Uh, but really, I recommend you watch out that Olbermann piece. But nonetheless, we will talk about that. I'll give you my take on it and tell you why it's a win for both sides. The $765 million settlement. And Rex Ryan, I rarely, if ever, go to the defense of Rex Ryan. But he's getting a lot of, uh, he's catching a lot of flack this week. For going to his son's first college football game on an off day. Yes, I know it was technically cut down day across the league. But, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't Ryan probably have a cell phone? I mean, he's not, you know, he's not going to South America or something. Going to Clemson to watch a game for a couple of hours. See his son play. May never, won't get a chance to see him play again this season. I don't see an issue with that at all. Well, actually, on second thought, Ryan might. He might be fired midway through the season. (laughs) But still, if all goes well for Sexy Rexy, and by well I mean, like, not utterly embarrassing, 
like 6 and 10, 7 and 9 might be doing well for the Jets. The bar is that low for them this year. Um, won't see his son play again this season. So let him go to the game. Let him be a dad. He can be reached via cell phone if his team needs to talk to him. In the cutdown day stuff, please. Those decisions are made weeks in advance. It doesn't come down to the final hour. Even though all of us football people love to think it does, it doesn't. They're not sitting in a in a draft. They're not sitting in a secret room somewhere, you know, hours, minutes before the deadline. No, those decisions are made throughout training camp in the month of August. Saturday is just an arbitrary deadline that the that the teams follow. Before we begin, though, Football Nation today and dive deeper into those stories, and of course get into the NFL preview. Do have a show announcement to make. Um, as you may have read in the show uh, in the show uh, description uh, today, I am going on an extended hiatus from FootballNation.com in the show here, Football Nation Today. Uh, I've accepted a position to cover the Red Sox for Bostino.com. That's B-O-S-T-I-N-N-O. Uh, they're owned by Streetwise Media, part of the American Business Journals. I, te- I hooked up with them in July and be taking a more full-time position this month as the Red Sox charge to the, towards the postseason. With my commitments to Bostino, the continuation of my Red Sox podcast without a curse, which is published twice per week on Mondays and Thursdays throughout the baseball season. Uh, with some work I do for the campus radio station here in school, WTBU, of course, Howard Stern's alma mater, WTBU, where he was fired from. I haven't been fired yet, but nonetheless, um, unfortunately, with all those commitments, I wouldn't have the time to put forth uh, the weekly show I'd want to publish for you folks. Um, could return. Sometime once the baseball postseason is over, and I know it's awfully strange to go on a hiatus here on literally the eve of the NFL season. Um, I love doing the show since May of last year. Todd DeFries and everyone at FootballNation.com has been fantastic to me. I'm thankful for the exposure I've received. I'm thankful for your continued listenership. I'd love to keep in touch with you folks as well over Twitter and or email. But uh, given where I am right now with some commitments I have coming up, um, I feel as if it is best if I took a hiatus from the program. I know, very weird, start of the NFL season, but don't let that damper your enthusiasm for the year. I know you're just as excited as I am, and let's talk about it. Football Nation Today, back after this. Okay, so welcome back to the show, Football Nation Today, episode number 60. As I said, final installment here for a while, possibly. Again, because the commitments have coming up in the fall. Um, But always a lot to talk about the NFL. And one story that we've talked about a lot on this show since its launch in May is the NFL and concussions and head injuries in the league's negligent handling of head injuries in the past. And, of course, the big court case was settled late last week. The NFL and the ex-players who were suing the league for its negligent treatment of head injuries settled for $765 million. And at first glance... This looks like a major win for the NFL because $765 million for a multi-billion dollar industry, to say the very least, is like chump change. Um, But looking at it a little more closely, and I want to thank Deadspin for publishing a really good piece on this uh, a couple of days ago. Looking at it a little more closely, the players won here too. Uh, First of all, why the NFL won, that's easier to see. Number one, the NFL doesn't go to court, so this story doesn't drag on as the regular season begins this weekend. Uh, They don't have to open up their books. They don't have to uh, potentially further incriminate themselves, which may have occurred if they'd opened up their books. And the NFLPA really got to see what was going on, and then maybe there could have been future lawsuits down the pike. So it's a big win for the NFL. Keep it out of court. Keep the mudslinging to a minimum. Don't have to open up their books. Don't have to show the NFLPA the real inner workings of the league. The story stays out of the media. 
Tomorrow night, Ravens, Broncos kickoff. It will be the last thing on anybody's mind, including myself. So it's a big win for the NFL. That's obvious. Um, it also, if you look at it a little further, and if you read up on this, is a win for the players as well. And as I said, I didn't necessarily think of it in these terms until I read the piece on Deadspin a couple of days ago because a lot of these players did not have great legal cases. Now, of course, it's very difficult to convict somebody or convict an entity in this case in the court of law. Uh, that was really the point of the Aaron Hernandez Rolling Stone article last week, which got a lot of play here in New England, dealing with the Patriots and Bill Belichick, what they did and didn't know on Hernandez. But the real purpose of the article was about the case against Hernandez. And the author of that piece um, actually thinks that Hernandez will get off. He thinks Hernandez will be deemed not guilty of the murder. He thinks the state of Massachusetts uh, overcharged Hernandez in the Odin Lloyd death. It's going to be very difficult to prove intent, especially because there doesn't seem to be any um, dependable eyewitnesses. Uh, Carl Sortiz and uh, Ernest Wallace are the only two eyewitnesses, and the uh, defense could certainly poke a lot of holes in their stories, a lot of holes in their characters. So, you know, just to use that as an example, it's very difficult to convict anybody or to convict an entity in the court of law. And the players did not have a great legal case because... They all played under the CBA, which says, in clear terms, the onus for player safety is on the individual teams and the league itself. Now, maybe the NFLPA was handicapped to agree to that CBA. Maybe if they wanted that out and wanted the league to be more proactive on head injuries and taking care of head injuries and taking care of players, uh, maybe the owners would have refused to sign it, sign it, and we would have had, you know, extended lockouts. So... Maybe the NFLPA was handicapped to agreeing to that uh, contract, but still, they agreed to it. They played with that understanding, and that was always going to be the NFL's number one defense in the courts. And look, a lot of good legal advice here on the player's side of things. They obviously decided they didn't have a great legal case, and thus they chose to settle to the tune of $765 million. Not a big loss for the NFL, not by any stretch of the imagination, but still, a real good gain for the players, more than uh, three quarters of a billion dollars. Uh, players get paid well. Uh, players get paid well. Um, they get something, at least, which I think we all, except, I guess, Pete Prisco, can say they truly deserve. So, deal works for both sides. Easy to see how it works for the NFL, but you dig a little deeper, it works for the players as well. Now, I talked about this briefly in the opening, but just to talk, just to recap it again here. Rex Ryan going to his son's first college game on Saturday is not a big deal. Uh, like I said, I know we as football fans and you know fantasy football geeks, you know, like to think that you know on cut down day teams are team executives are sitting in the war room in a top secret location just like we do when we have our fantasy drafts and they're looking at lists, crossing everything off, going crazy. It's not like that. Uh, these decisions are made weeks in advance. This is the culmination of a six-week-long training camp, which starts at the end of July, carries through the entire month of August. You have four preseason games, a lot of practice time. I know not as much practice time as they once had, but still more than enough practice time to get a read on these players. Uh, Saturday is just the arbitrary deadline. And Sal Capaccio of, w of Sports Radio WGR in Buffalo, who we had on the show last week, to give us an AFC overview. Um, Sal tweeted this out yesterday, and he's absolutely right. If the Jets organization uh, couldn't function on cutdown day because its head coach Rex Ryan wasn't there at the team headquarters, uh, that's more that's an indictment on the organization, not on Ryan. Uh, the Jets have a general manager and uh, John Idzik. They have an ownership. 
They have other coaches. They have other front office executives. The Jets had more than enough people to make to finalize those decisions without Rex Ryan. And if they needed to contact Rex Ryan, they could have because Rex Ryan, I believe, has a cell phone. If he needed to be reached, the Jets could have called him. I know he was photographed six or seven hours before the game. Well, oh my God. God forbid Rex Ryan have a little fun. I know, his team's going to suck this year, so he should probably just sit in a darkened room all day and night and not leave his house unless he's going to the football field to watch tape. I mean, sometimes we forget athletes, coaches, these people have lives outside of their professions. Um, they have sons, they have spouses, they have daughters, and Rex Ryan saw his son play his first college game at Clemson this Saturday on an off day. Season hadn't begun yet. He didn't do it the day before the season opener. He did it on cutdown day, which is nothing more than an arbitrary deadline. And like I said, if the Jets needed him to chime in on something, they could have called him. I'm sure he would have answered his phone. So this is the, this is the epitome of making something out of nothing. Just more controversy for the Jets beat writers and New York media to pounce over. And like I also said in the opening, I seldom defend Rex Ryan, but I'm going to defend him here. It's weak sauce to call him out on attending his son's first college game. Cat, uh, give the guy a break. He deserves it in this case. So, 2013 NFL season. A mere 24 hours away. Ravens at Broncos tomorrow night. Then everyone else opens up on Sunday and Monday. Season predictions. Going to run through my divisional winners. Give you some reasoning. I'd like to think logical reasoning, but I'll let you decide. And then uh, give you a Super Bowl winner at the end of it. I know. You're as excited as I am. So here we go. Starting off in the AFC with the AFC East. Um, I think this is quite clear. If you listen to the show over the past several weeks, you know where I'm going with this. And frankly, I don't think... You can go anywhere else with this prediction unless you're desperate for attention like ESPN the magazine. Um, the Patriots are going to win the AFC East and once again win this division rather easily. Um, it's a bad, bad division. The Bills are starting an undrafted rookie with the last name of Tool on Sunday. Uh, the Jets just signed Brady Quinn, who might represent an upgrade at the quarterback slot for them, which tells you all you need to know about where they are. Uh, the Dolphins certainly made some improvements on paper, but we'll see how it comes together on the field. Still not sure about Ryan Tannehill. Um, it's a bad division. It might be the worst division in football. If the Patriots go 5-1 and one in the division, and I think that's certainly in the cards. Uh, their one loss could be on the road at Miami. I can't see them losing to anybody else in this division. If the Pats go 5-1 and one in the AFC East, all they need to do to get to 11 wins is go 500 the rest of the way. And they're going to go better than 500 the rest of the way. 12 wins wouldn't surprise me with this Patriot team. And it is partially because of the weak division. But that's the reality of the situation. Uh, as far as how they look this preseason, Tom Brady, outside of the first half of Game 3, looked great at 36 years of age. Rob Gronkowski is not going to go on the PUP list. So he's going to be back sooner than I certainly thought he was going to be. Um, this offense may start a little slower than it has in recent years. It's a bit of a transition for this offense right now. They're going to try to run the football a little more with Steven Ridley. They're going to change and they're going to give Shane Vereen a bigger role in the offense, maybe make him more of a pass catcher out of the backfield with Hernandez in prison and Gronkowski unavailable for the first couple of games. Um, Danny Amendola has always had problems staying healthy, but, you know, the Amendola defenders, and they're right here, look at it and say, you know, this is a guy who hasn't really had nagging injuries. This is a guy who's been injured on contact. He's just had some bad luck. And many people like to point out the statistic that, oh, Amendola missed more games last season than Wes Welker missed in the entirety of his Patriot career. And though that is true, uh, timing can be, the, can be explained as the reason why uh, 
Amendola's missed more games than Welker because if you remember in 2009, Welker tore his ACL in Houston on the final game of the regular season. If he had tore his ACL, you know, seven or eight weeks earlier or in week one, he would have been out for the year. And then we could have said, oh, Wes Welker's a slot receiver, five, you know, not a lot of height to him, a smaller guy. You know, he has injury concerns. He missed all of 09 with that ACL injury. I mean, if that, if, if the timing was different with Welker's ACL injuries, we would maybe be saying the same things about him than we're saying about Danny Amendola right now. So if Amendola's healthy, he's a younger, more athletic version of Welker, can stretch the outside of the field a little bit as well. In this offense, if he plays all 16 games, he should have 90 to 100 catches rather easily. I liked how the rookie tight ends have looked this camp. Josh Boyce seems to have a lot of speed. Aaron Dobson, haven't been too impressed with him in particular. I think he gets pushed off the ball a little too easily, which is disconcerting for the Patriots looking for more of a physical receiving core. I think they've gotten beating, beaten up. Uh, in the postseason the past couple of years against more physical defenses, uh, you know, defense who can play man-to-man against them, kind of bully the Patriots. So I worried a little bit about Dobson. I'm not sure how much playing time he'll get early on. Um, Kendrell Tompkins, a 25-year-old rookie, looks great, and Brady's comfortable going with him in key third-down situations, which is good news. Uh, but long story short, it's a different offense. They might not score as much early on as they once did, but by the end of the season, they'll be back up to a top-10 offense, I think a top-5 offense. On paper, this offense still has a lot of talent, especially with Rob Gronkowski coming back in week three or four. So the offense will be fine. The offense will be more than good enough to win. The question, of course, as it's been the past several seasons with with the Patriots, is the defense. And this is the year the defense has to make that step forward. I've said it a million times on the show. They have a lot of talent on paper. A lot of first, second, third round picks from Aqib Tlaib to Brandon Spikes, to Gerard Mayo, to Vince Wilfork, to Devin McCourty, uh, go on down the line, Chandler Jones, Dante Hightower. This is a defense with a lot of high draft picks, and not all of them have panned out, especially in the secondary. Razai Dowling was cut last week, second round pick of a couple years ago, another young cornerback who's failed under Bill Belichick and in this Patriots system. Bad pick, maybe the worst draft pick actually of Belichick's tenure here, really. Um, so the defense, that's always the question. And on paper, they're better than they've been on the field the past several seasons. I thought they showed some improvement last year, especially once Tlaib came aboard. When Tlaib was hurt in the AFC title game, Joe Flacco and the Ravens picked them apart. So if there's a healthy Tlaib, if the third, fourth-year guys in this defense take that big step forward, which on paper at least, if you go by where they were drafted, their numbers in college, their athletic ability, they have the ability to do so— If this defense can win them some games, the Patriots can make a a deep postseason run. The offense will be more than fine at the end, even though there's a lot of changes there. The question, as it's been the past several years with the Patriots, is the defense. So, though I do not feel the AFC East will be all that competitive, another easy divisional win for the Pats, I think the AFC North is going to be very competitive. You can make an argument for three teams winning that division, Baltimore, Bengals, Steelers, I, though, am going with the Ravens to win the AFC North, and I actually think the Ra—excuse me, the Bengals, rather, to win the AFC North. We'll get to the Ravens in a moment. Um, and I actually think the Bengals might be the best team on paper in the entire conference. I've made the playoffs two consecutive seasons, looking to make that step forward this year, 
and they have the defense to do it. They actually have a great defense with Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, Michael Johnson, who they franchised this offseason, Vontaze Perfect as the middle linebacker, safety Reggie Nelson. Go on down the line. That's Marvin Lewis, a defensive-oriented coach with a really good defense. Finally took years, but over the past couple seasons, this has been building, and this year this could be one of the best defenses in all of football. They have a good offensive line anchored by Andre Smith. I think Giovanni Bernard could be a more dynamic running back than Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, who, by the way, is still maybe as good of a goal line back as there is in the league right now. Uh, they're trying to revolutionize their offense a little bit with the rookie tight end Tyler Eifert. Uh, A.J. Green is one of the best receivers in the conference. The only question, and it's a huge question, is the quarterback, Andy Dalton. Uh, read this statistic in last week's Sports Illustrated. Dalton's only completed one throw longer than 25 yards in two postseason games. It's obvious. If the Bengals are going to take that step forward and make a legitimate run in January, Andy Dalton has to be better. He has to play like he played in the regular season. And, you know, it's funny. We take a look at quarterbacks and we say, oh, that guy can't do it. Just can't do it. We give him that label. Joe Flacco had that label last season. And then the Ravens made a playoff run. They won a Super Bowl. Flacco played spectacularly well in January. And now Flacco doesn't have that label anymore. He won the big one. Um, and I feel like, you know, and, I, and I'm guilty of it. I, I gave that label to Flacco prior to last season. I've certainly given that label to a guy like Tony Romo. And I will never back off that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, it, it sounds kind of silly. But I think, you know, it, we shouldn't make those statements because we say a guy can't do it, but then he does do it. So then what? I mean, did he, you know, did he, did, did, was January too much for Andy Dalton to handle the first two times around, but then the third time around, magically he improves or same with Joe Flacco? I don't know. Maybe there's some truth to that, but I, I just look at the overall team and I look at Dalton's performance in the regular season, which has not been, you know, at, at a Pro Bowl caliber, but it's certainly been at a caliber good enough to win, certainly been comparable, if not better statistically, than Joe Flacco's average regular season performance. So if Dalton can take that step forward, and he certainly has the talent around him to do so, I think the Bengals could win the division and make a real run in the playoffs. Um, it's a great defense. It's a defense that should win them a lot of games. And Dalton has the pieces. He has A.J. Green, a great wide receiver, one of the best in football. Rookie tenant Tyler Eifert, who people love. Uh, rookie running back in Bernard, who people really like as well. Um, they have the weapons to do it, certainly have the defense to do it. Offense will have to carry the load. I think it's going to be a big year for Cincinnati. I also think it's going to be a good year for the Steelers, who I have capturing the first AFC wildcard. Uh, Pittsburgh has a lot of question marks, primarily health-related. You look at Ben Roethlisberger. He hasn't really been healthy in three seasons. He played 15 games in 2011, but he missed one of those games due to injury, had nagging injuries throughout the season. You look at last year. He played in 12 games, had a 26-8 touchdown-to-interception ratio, which is very good. Um, if Roethlisberger is healthy this season... I think he can carry Pittsburgh to the playoffs. I do, or at least play a large role in that. They did lose Mike Wallace, but they still have Emmanuel Sanders, still have some weapons for him to play with. I think the running game will be better with Isaac Redman and rookie LeVon Bell. Should improve the running game from Jonathan uh, uh, Dwyer last year. Um, Jarvis Jones adds some youth as an outside pass rusher on that defense. Uh, this could be Troy Palmolo's last season as an effective NFL player, but I think he has one more run in him. I think this team has one more run in it. So I think Pittsburgh gets good health and thus gets 10 or 11 wins and gets a spot in the playoffs this season. Baltimore will have a very good defense. They actually improved on defense over the offseason. 
Middle linebacker Daryl Smith in his ninth season now has gotten rave reviews throughout training camp. He's going to be a better player this year in the middle than Ray Lewis was last year. There's not a doubt in my mind. Um, they got better at safety. Ed Reed, great leader, but on the field, how effective was Reed last year? Mm, not all that effective. Michael Huff, rookie Matt Elam will be better on the field this year than Reed was last year. They signed Elvis Dumerville, the premier pass rusher on the open market this offseason. Um, the Ravens had a good year for themselves. They really did. They'll have a very good defense. That'll win them some games. The big concern I have with Baltimore is the... Uh, and by the way, the defense still has Haloti Nada. They still have Terrell Suggs. They're not completely barren either. So they still have the big names as well. Um, I am, though, worried about the offense. I really am. Because, as I've always said, I think Joe Flacco is a guy who needs his teammates to make him better. I don't think he necessarily makes his teammates better. And Anquan Bolden was his favorite red zone target. Dennis Pitta was the second favorite red zone target. Bolden left for San Francisco this offseason. Pitta was hurt early on in training camp. He'll be out for the season. Um, when Jim Caldwell took over as offensive coordinator last year, Flacco and the Ravens better utilized the middle of the field. Well, Flacco's two biggest targets in the middle, Bolden and Pitta, are gone and not coming back. Uh, Ray Rice should carry the load of this offense. I would expect a huge statistical season from him if he stays healthy. They should integrate Bernard Pierce a little bit more to keep Rice fresh, and I like Pierce as well. Um, but I'm not sure if this offense is going to be able to score a lot of points, especially against Cincinnati's defense, Pittsburgh's defense if all are healthy. Um, so it could be 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven for the Ravens. I certainly think they'll be in the playoff hunt until the final weeks of December, but there are just too many questions on the offense right now for me to pick Baltimore to return to the postseason. I think they barely miss out on the playoffs this year. Now, the AFC South may have been the toughest division for me to pick in the entire uh, league, and after a lot of deliberation, I think I'm going to go with the Colts here. And it's tough because they did have a minus 30 point differential last season. They did have a lot of come from behind victories. I think some of their production came at fluky times. You look at Andrew Luck statistically. Showed a lot of poise. Yes, and I'm a believer in Luck. I think he'll be a great quarterback in this league for a long time. But statistically, he struggled last year. Completed fewer than 60% of his passes. Had a QB rating in the 70s, I believe it was. Uh, Mid-70s. Uh, statistically, a lot of interceptions, turnovers, not a great season for luck. Um, so, you're looking at all that, a bad defense as well. I want to say the 11-5 was a fluke last year, aided by a soft schedule as well. But, I think it's a weak AFC South. I like the additions the Colts made on offense, the two rookie tight ends, Dwayne Allen and Kobe Fleener. I'm a big fan of Vic Ballard. I think he'll run the ball well for them this year. Showed promise in the second half last year. Um, Reggie Wayne quietly had a terrific season with luck last season i like ty hilton an explosive down the field receiver they made some veteran additions to their defense as well and luck showed me he has the intangibles and has the tools to mature as a premier nfl quarterback i think that maturing process begins from this season and thus the colts have another double digit win season and get another playoff berth i'm not sure how far they'll go in the playoffs i think they'll have a better showing than they had last year against baltimore but will they make the playoffs yes Andrew Luck will mature, and thus the Colts will mature right along with him. I do have the Texans missing the playoffs here, and I was actually tempted to pick them to finish third behind Tennessee. But then I had questions about Chris Johnson's health. I saw that Jake Locker plays quarterback for the Titans, and I backed off that prediction. But I really don't have a lot of respect for that operation. I don't. And it's not just that they wore Letterman's jackets into Foxborough and got crushed on Monday Night Football. 
It's not that they came back to Foxborough one month later, got crushed again. It's not that they weren't ready for the hurry-up offense in the postseason, even though they played the Patriots a mere four weeks earlier. It's not just because of that, although it largely is because of that. I just think they've plateaued as a franchise. I do. I'm not sure how much further Matt Schaub can take them. Uh, Andre Johnson has had some injury problems at the end of the last few seasons. Arian Foster seems like a ticking time bomb to break down. Uh, Brian Cushing should be healthy this year. Recently signed an extension. J.J. Watt is a beast. One of, if not the best pure defensive player in football. Certainly the best pass rusher in football right now. But they'll be making up for Connor Barwin's loss. They lost some pieces on defense. The Texans did. Uh, Gary Kubiak is not a big-time head coach to me. He's one of these dudes who stares at his laminated play sheet. The world could be collapsing around him, and he's still just looking at his play sheet. Doesn't seem like he thinks on his feet. The first games of the uh, the first plays of the games are scripted. Um, Wade Phillips did not impress me with his acumen as a defensive coordinator last season. I cited that example against the Patriots. They played them four weeks earlier. Uh, uh, four weeks earlier in December. Then come in January, and still weren't ready for the hurry-up offense, which which astounds me to this day. Um, so I don't have a lot of respect for that operation. I think they've plateaued as a franchise, and I think the Texans will miss out on the postseason in 2013. Wrapping up the AFC, the Denver Broncos will win the AFC West. They'll pounce on a mediocre division. Um, Peyton Manning will put up big numbers. Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker, Wes Walker, provided all stay healthy, will put up huge numbers. Uh, Monte Ball, rookie running back, should get the bulk of the carries there. Um, he should be an improvement over the running game Denver had last season. They'll score a lot of points. They'll also give up a lot of points, but they'll score a lot of points, and they'll win a lot of games. They may actually be the number one seed in the conference this year. But, as I've also said in the past several weeks, I think the Broncos are flawed, if not severely flawed. For two reasons. Number one, their age. Wes Welker has a nagging ankle problem. Seems like a slot receiver like him, just a matter of time before he wears down. Amendola, I'm on the bandwagon. Uh, Champ Bailey has had a foot injury. All training camp. Von Miller is out for the first six weeks. And taking his place will be veteran linebackers Paris Lennon and Sean Phillips. And I'm not sure if those guys can play regularly at this stage in their careers. I'm not sure if Phillips can rush the passer consistently at this stage in his career. So it's age number one. And number two, I think they have a really bad defense. Joe Flacco and the Ravens picked them apart last postseason. And I don't think the defense got better this offseason. They, they did add Dominic Rogers cromartie who I like. But other than that, they got older. That's all that happened. I think the Broncos give up a lot of points. They'll score a lot of points in the regular season. So they'll win a lot of games. But in the playoffs, as we've learned, it's balance. Balance wins. And the Broncos are far from balanced. So this, I think, for the second consecutive season, they will get bounced early from the playoffs. And then people like me can blame it on Peyton Manning, even though really a porous defense and an old defense would be the real culprit. But hey, as long as you can keep that Peyton Manning storyline alive, it's all good with me. And the second AFC wildcard will be the Kansas City Chiefs coming out of the West. I was a huge fan of the Chiefs last month. If you asked me last month at this last month, if I would pick the Chiefs, Chiefs, uh, Chiefs rather to make the postseason, uh, the answer would have been no. But after thinking about it, looking at the rosters, I like what Kansas City is doing. Andy Reid is not going to coach them to their next Super Bowl, but he is going to coach them to their next playoff berth. Uh, you know what he does with quarterbacks, and I think Alex Smith is a really good fit there. 
Uh, Dante Robinson and Anthony, Anthony Fasano were really good additions to the roster. They have six Pro Bowlers from last year on the roster, the Chiefs do. Uh, people said it all the time, and it's true. Maybe the best, uh, you know, 2-14 and 14 team in league history uh, last season. So, I think the Chiefs have a lot of talent, have a lot of veteran talent as well. They could go 9-7. and seven. Again, in a week, AFC West, you get to play Oakland and San Diego four times. Those should be wins. They play Jacksonville early on, I believe. Uh, it's a soft schedule for them. They could get out to a good start, win 9 or 10 games, and capture the second AFC wildcard with Andy Reid and a veteran squad. Now, switching gears here to the NFC, beginning with the NFC East, a real tough division to pick. I think there's a lot of mediocrity in the East this season, but ultimately I think the Giants win a tight race. This is a big year for Eli Manning, who's thrown 25, 16, and 15 interceptions the past three seasons. Uh, so this is a big year for Manning to prove if he is the franchise-caliber quarterback that many wanted to anoint him when the Broncos, uh, when the Giants rather won the Super Bowl two years ago. Um, on paper. He has a good receiving core. If Victor Cruz can stay healthy, along with Akeem Nix, Ruben Randall in his second season, that's a real good receiving core for the Giants. They need to run the ball, but uh, for them to win the division, they need to do two things. They need to run the ball way better than they did last year, and Justin Tuck needs to be what he was a few years ago. That pass defense was awful last season, and it was largely awful because they had a non-existent pass rush. They lost OCU Minora to Atlanta this offseason. So this year, the onus will be on Justin Tuck to get back to where he was in previous seasons. And if he does so, I think the Giants have enough to eke out an NFC East crown and a playoff berth. As far as the rest of the division real quick, I think the Eagles will be very interesting to watch all season long with Chip Kelly. As I've said before, I think Mike Vick was a good choice to start a quarterback for them. But they might have the worst defense in the conference. I don't think the Eagles will be all that competitive this season. A building year for them. Um, I think the Redskins take a slight step back. I think Robert Griffin takes a slight step back as well, learning how to play with a new style. Um, and I just can't pick the Cowboys to win anything of consequence. I really can't. Not a Romo guy. Never will be. Um, and that defense only had 16 takeaways last season. Really bad. And that's a defense with DeMarcus Ware. That's a defense with a lot of playmakers, at least on paper. But they've struggled to stay healthy. They've perpetually underachieved. Now they have Monty Kiffin in his Tampa 2. And I'm not sure if the Tampa 2 from the 1990s is suitable for today's NFL with playing Robert Griffin in that offense two times per season. And all the other read options, more mobile quarterbacks and offenses. and di Really, the word is dynamic, right? More dynamic passing attacks, more dynamic quarterbacks, more dynamic offensive attacks in total. I don't know if Monty Kiffin, 70, you know, Monty Kiffin in his 60s, 70s, I'm not sure if his Tampa 2 defense from 15 years ago is what the doctor had ordered to start some of those more dynamic offensive attacks. So I think the Cowboys, 79, 8, and 8, which is where they've been the past number of years. Now, the NFC North was a real good division last year. I don't think it will be as good this year. I think Minnesota takes a step back. I think the Bears are bad. The Lions are a very undisciplined team, continue to be undisciplined. Uh, Jim Schwartz could be one of the first coaches fired this year, or at least he should be with how undisciplined that team is. They have, I mean, if the Lions were disciplined, they could make a run for, this, for a playoff spot. But I still think they will. And Matthew Stafford without Calvin Johnson is an average quarterback at best. So it's the Packers division here. They have holes, beginning with their defense. Didn't improve this offseason. Lost Eric Walden. 
linebacker to the Colts. They actually lost pieces on that defense. Cut Charles Woodson as well. Um, their offensive line struggled too last year. Brian Bulaga out with an injury in training camp. He'll be gone. Not protecting Aaron Rodgers' uh, blind side. But offensively, they'll score a ton of points and they'll win a ton of games. Eddie Lacy, legitimate running back. I thought that was one of the better picks of the draft. And Aaron Rodgers is the best of the game. Did lose Greg Jennings, but he'll just make Jordy Nelson a number one. He'll make Randall Cobb a star. The Packers have more than enough on offense to win. Rodgers is the best quarterback in the game right now. Arguably, best quarterback in the game. And a team with the best quarterback in the game isn't going to miss the playoffs. The Packers will win 11 or 12 games. They'll make the postseason. Again, to go back to like I said with the Broncos, I'm not sure how balanced the Packers are, so I'm not sure how much they'll win in January this year, but they'll get there, and they will win the NFC North yet again this season. So the NFC South will be a really fun division to watch. A lot of points scored. The team that will score the most points will win the division. Oh, no, not win the game. That's obvious. No, win the division. Isn't always obvious. Come on. And the Falcons will be that team. The Falcons win the NFC South this season. And I legitimately think they might score 50 to 60 points per game. Uh, really, with Matt Ryan adding Steven Jackson at running back, if he has something left in the tank, I mean, my goodness. You go with Roddy White, Julio Jones, uh, Julio Jones, Tony Gonzalez re-signed for another season, coming back again. Uh, best tight end in league history. Um, this is unbelievable. <laughs> with the poorest defenses they'll play, uh, dome stadium, warm weather, road games in that division. Uh, the Falcons might score 60 points every week. It would not surprise me in the least. Uh, so they're going to win a lot of games in the regular season. Noticing a theme here, offense rules the day, quarterbacks rule the day in the regular season, but in the playoffs, as we've seen, balance still wins. And because of that, I'm not sure if the Falcons will make it past the NFC Championship game this season because I don't know if the defense can win that hypothetical Never mind 17-14 to 14 game. Those games are rarely played unless you're the Patriots in the Super Bowl or something. Oh, man, Super Bowl 42. Had to remind us of that. I kid, I kid. Um, but um, 20, how about 24-21 or even 27-24? Can the Falcons win a game when their offense doesn't score 30 points or more? And I say when, not if, because it's going to happen in January. They're going to run into a team that holds the offense to maybe not 17 points, not 14 points, but 24 points. Can they win that 24? Can they win that 27-24 game? Can they win the 24-21 game? I'm not sure of that. Desmond Trufant, rookie corner, could have a lot to say about it. Ostia Manure, if he has something left in the tank, anything left in the tank, can improve their pass rush as well. But I'm not sure if that defense can get it done in the postseason. They were shut out in the second half last season against Seattle, and the blame certainly falls on Matt Ryan for that. But the defense also surrendered a lot of points in the second half, too. That was a collapse on both fronts, and I don't think the defense is good enough again this season. So I'd be cautious in picking the Falcons to make a deep run in January, but certainly think they'll get there, just on the strength of that aerial offensive attack alone. Now, the Saints will miss the playoffs this year because I think their defense is just too weak. And you might say, Alex, you just said defense doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter, but... It has to matter a little bit, right? And Will Smith's out for the year. And bad last year. I didn't see a lot of improvements this season other than the fact that Sean Payton will be back and he's an offensive guy anyway. Uh, Saints will make a run at it. It wouldn't surprise me if they reach the postseason. But I'm just not a believer in them for this season. I'm also not a believer in the Bucks. Interesting. Had one of the worst pass defenses in the league last year, so they added Darrell Rivas and Deshaun Goldson. But I don't know about Josh Freeman. And I don't like Greg Schiano. I, I don't like him. 
He's the kind of coach who probably has all these corny, inspirational slogans all around the facilities. You know, pain is just weakness leaving the body. He's one of those guys. Lost my respect forever when he, you know, blitzed the Giants in the victory formation last season. We play 60 minutes raw. All right, bro. Nice. Enjoy 7-9 and nine this year. Um, so, interesting division for sure. As I said, wouldn't surprise me if the Saints won it or made the playoffs. I just think they miss out on the Falcons, who will score a ton of points and win this division. Now, the NFC West may be the best division in all of football. So good, in fact, it'll have three playoff teams this year. The 49ers and Seahawks both make the playoffs. Technicality purposes, they have the 49ers winning, Seahawks getting a wild card. San Francisco lost Delaney Walker in the offseason to Tennessee. Michael Crabtree on the PUP list. And the offense didn't look great in training camp. And Colin Kaepernick didn't look all that comfortable. And it didn't seem like there were a lot of wrinkles to that offense. But Greg Bedard made a great point on TheMMQB.com. And Bedard, by the way, is one of my favorite football writers going. We were really lucky to have him here in New England for a couple seasons covering the Patriots. This is a guy who... Breaks down the old 22 film. And he puts that kind of work into his calm. So when he throws things out there, he's not just throwing them out there. They're actually reasoned and logical. Imagine that, right? Um, and Bedard said in his column this week, uh, look, first of all, well, he said, first of all, the read option, we have to understand what it is, okay? The read option only is when uh, the quarterback picks up an unblocked defender and then has the option of either running the ball himself or handing it to a running back. Okay, the read option is not when Colin Kaepernick stands in the shotgun and he hands it off to Frank Gore or Michael James on a draw play, or it's not when Kaepernick scrambles, or it's not when Kaepernick is in the pistol formation. The read option is only when you pick up the unblocked defender and then you have the option as the quarterback of either running it yourself or giving it off to a back. So, first of all, we need to understand what read option is. But anyway, Bedard said, look, the 49ers didn't show a lot of wrinkles this preseason. Because why would they? What incentive does offensive coordinator Greg Roman have to give to, to show you what he's planning for the regular season, especially in what promises to be a really competitive NFC West? Um, but Kaepernick, I think, is legit. I, the best thing about Kaepernick to me and Griffin and Russell Wilson and all these guys is they can run, but they can also really throw. Kaepernick in particular, I think, has a bullet for a throwing arm. Um, I think he's going to have a big, big season. He was not a fluke last year. Um, and the defense is nasty. They did lose Goldson, but they added rookie Eric Reed to take his place at safety. They signed Namdi Asamoah as well. I think we'll have a big bounce-back season as a cornerback there. Um, and if the 49ers did have a hole in their spectacular defense, it was their secondary. And I think they addressed that with the addition of Asamoah this offseason. So a big year for San Francisco, another divisional title for them. And it will be another playoff berth for the Seahawks. Russell Wilson is legit. Uh, Percy Harvin should give them a boost when he returns late in the season. They made one of the better additions of the whole offseason, signing Cliff Averill in free agency. That defense was 18th in sacks last year. Uh, we talk a lot about Richard Sherman and the secondary, which, by the way, is so good. They cut Antoine Winfield last week. Um, but the pass rush was mediocre. Middle of the pack, 18th in sacks. Cliff Averill is a welcome addition to that defense. By the way, it's a big year for Bruce Irving, a surprise early draft pick from two seasons ago. He's uh, serving a PED suspension early on, but when Irving comes back, it'll be interesting to see how he integrates in that Seattle defense. But Averill certainly gives them a big boost at the defensive line. And I think the Rams, surprise here, go 9-7 and seven and reach the playoffs. 
I really do. Because one quarterback has to take that next step forward. And why can't it be Sam Bradford? Certainly has all the physical tools. And he's had a lot of experience in this league now. An improved offensive line with Jake Long. Has some more weapons, especially with rookie wide receiver Tavon Austin. Jared Cook, I think, is going to have a big year at tight end. And that defense has attitude, and that defense is nasty. From Chris Long to James Laurinaitis to Jolyn Dunbar to Cortland Finnegan as uh, as a cornerback, um, that is a nasty, tough defense. And that's a defense that could be really good. And I'm going to be fascinated to see that defense matchup against Kaepernick, Wilson, and all the wrinkles the 49ers and Seahawks will throw at them. I think the Rams can handle it. I do. And because of that, I pick them to capture the second NFC wild card. So who do I have capturing the Super Bowl in New York City? By the way, there'll be a blizzard in this year's big game. Mark my words. And the NFL deserves it for being stupid enough to schedule the Super Bowl in New York. And it's going to be insufferable listening to all the New Yorkers brag about how our city has a Super Bowl. The best Super Bowl of all time is in New York. Of course it is. We're New Yorkers. Everything we do is the best of all time. Derek Jeter will make an appearance at the Super Bowl this year. So we're going to hear that for months on end, which is going to be intolerable. Um, and the weather conditions will be intolerable. The game that will not be intolerable. We're on a great run. A lot of great Super Bowls over the past decade that will continue this season. And my Super Bowl, I have the 49ers taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. And I have the Niners outlasting Cincinnati. Yes. Okay. Let's first talk about the AFC side of things real quick. Um, like I said with Andy Dalton, we said last year Joe Flacco couldn't do it. Right? And I was one of those people. Joe Flacco's a mediocre quarterback. Game manager, nothing more. Can't do it. Can't win in the postseason. Can't do it, won't do it. But then he did it <laughs> and played really well in January. So why can't that be Andy Dalton this year? He certainly has the tools at his disposal. First and foremost, A.J. Green on the outside. Has a great defense. On paper, I think, the best defense in the AFC. The Patriots will make a deep run this year. I think the Pats, once again, reach the AFC title game. Next year, the Patriots will win the Super Bowl. I'm already saying that. Provided Gronkowski stays healthy, don't have another Aaron Hernandez-type situation. And by the way, let the records show, that was a bad investment for the Patriots. The $40 million they gave Hernandez last year from the Rolling Stone article. I forgot to mention this when I did the Pats, so I'll do it quickly now. What the Patriots did know and didn't know, I think it's obvious. Belichick knew more than he let on. Maybe Aaron didn't explicitly tell Belichick his life was in danger at the Combine in Indianapolis last year, but he was in Indianapolis. The Patriots haven't denied that report. He was spotted at the Combine. Why was he there? It's highly unusual for a veteran player to visit his head coach at the Combine. It, it just doesn't happen. So why was Aaron Hernandez there? He must have been there for some reason. I believe the Crafts when they say they were duped, because I think the Crafts, like most donors, don't involve themselves in the day-to-day -day operations of the franchise. And there's no doubt in my mind, there's a lot of troubled souls on a 53-man football roster. There's a lot of guys going through a lot of stuff, bad connections, bad family, bad hometown, etc. And because of that, I think Bill Belichick kind of becomes almost numb to it, you know? Well, bad crowd, whatever, but Aaron will be fine. And I'm not saying you can project murder. You can never project murder. But were there obvious red flags? Of course there were. 
If there weren't, Hernandez wouldn't have dropped to the fourth round. Teams wouldn't have crossed him off their draft boards. Belichick looked past all that. And I think he unwisely looked past all that. And I think we can say that as a fact right now, given how it turned out. And the $40 million they gave Hernandez last summer was a monumentally bad investment. They gave him more guaranteed money than Rob Gronkowski. They really invested in this guy. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. If Hernandez hadn't been signed, maybe Wes Welker would still be with the Patriots. I don't know. So that's it on Hernandez. But I got there by saying, I think next year the Patriots win the Super Bowl. This year will be a bit of a building year for them. I still think they're not quite there yet. I still think in January, a real tough physical defense like the Bengals comes in, chases Brady around a little bit. That offensive line has shown, if you can rush the passer without blitzing, play tough man-to-man -man on the receivers, Patriots struggle in that situation. If Gronkowski is healthy this year, that could give them physical presence in the middle of the field and in the red zone they've lacked. But I just think the Pats are a year away from Stephen Ridley really establishing himself and Amendola and Brady really clicking with each other and the defense really maturing to an elite defense. They're almost there. And they're close. They're real close. But they're not quite there yet. And like I said, I think the Broncos will be out early because they're just not balanced. And you still need to be balanced to win it all in the NFL. And the Bengals, I think, are balanced, provided Andy Dalton takes that next step. And the 49ers are beyond balance. On paper, I think they're the best team in football this season. It's their time. Almost won it last year. They'll win it this year. 49ers over Bengals in the Super Bowl in New York. tuning in to another edition of the Football Nation Today podcast. Of course, hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer. This will be our last show for a while. Going on, hi on hiatus, as they say, it pains me to do it on the eve of the NFL opening, kick, uh, opening weekend, but with the commitments I have to my Red Sox podcast without a curse, the added commitment to Bostino, really excited about that opportunity, some other commitments I have here on campus. Um, I wouldn't have the time to consistently put out the kind of show I want to put out for you guys. So it pains me to do it. I've loved my time here at Football Nation. Please stay in touch. A Reamer at bu.edu is my email address. At AlexReamer1 on Twitter is my Twitter handle. Please keep in touch. Love to talk football with you guys. Pumped up for the start of the season. I know you are as, you are as well. And we'll talk to you down the line. Thank you as always for listening. Wouldn't have been able to do it without you guys. I've said it a million times, and I'm not kidding. It's great to know that you don't host a show into the abyss. And you guys have been awesome, always participating, always interested in the program. We thank you for that. And we'll talk to you down the line. See ya. Enjoy the games.